Welcome back, guys, to the uh, audio layer of DDO DM. Hello to you in the future, and for those in the past, thanks for listening. So today's episode, I I didn't really struggle with today's episode. I guess I did a little bit with how in-depth I was going to make it. Because I think the allure to uh, Dungeons and Dragons online role-playing game is that you would get to role-play <laughs> to the um, chagrin I think to many of hardcore role-players you'll find role-play largely missing in Dungeons and Dragons online if, um, if you have any experience with the game grouping I will refer you to that if you don't I'll set the scene for you in Dungeons and Dragons you will generally post on a board a menu that you wish to do a, a certain quest and you will advertise a level range and generally you're open to all classes and so those classes are all highlighted it's the level range people are concerned with because Unfortunately, there's a hard XP cap which forces people to level up and forces people out of other players' level range. If you're out of a certain level range, it would affect how much experience points you would get from a given quest. Obviously, if you were had someone significantly higher level in a lower level quest, it would be easy. So the dungeon master... Who, Standing Stone Games would reward that less, and they should. The hard XP cap forcing a player to level up, that's uh, that's something they also institute and something I'm against. That's for uh, surely another episode. So you post this uh, message on the... It's not really a message, it's a fairly automated system. All the quests are listed there, and you pick one and you create the LFM as it were and people who are eligible will join your group and for whatever quest you can meet at the quest some people have to get ship buffs and these terms if you're never played are alien and foreign to you but Sometimes people join the group or switch characters and they're not quite ready to join or quite ready to get to the quest and complete it. So there might be some running around. Sometimes there's not. Sometimes it's some players are right there, ready to go. They only have one tune or this is the tune they plan to play, so they're ready to rock. Others are more opportunistic. They're farming on their high level. They see a low level pop up and then they want to switch. So for whatever reason, your group is created and several people join. You can have up to five other players. And some people might know exactly where the quests are. Some people might need directions. Some people want to share. Some people want to get you ship buffs if you don't have any. So there's a lot of kind of mechanical questions that are being asked and answered. There's a lot of mechanical discussion happening prior to starting a quest in D D DDO. But there's not a whole lot of discussion of the story. There's not a whole lot of discussion of 
how that story uh, affects the world or each character. There's a good there's a good reason why, and that's because it it doesn't matter. It's unfortunate, I know, but it's the sad reality of online gaming. The devs unfortunately can't make each DM each adventure for you, and so that being the case. It is sort of up to the player the, to experience the story on his own. It's, it's nice to experience it with a group, and it's great to play with a group. I'm not trying to deter you from that, but I'm trying to offer that your role-playing itch may not be satisfied by grouping, although I am here to offer some hope. So your group is together and you begin the quest, and typically in Dungeons & Dragons there's a Zerg force, or uh, someone who is looking to complete the dungeon as fast as possible because they have committed to a chain of racial lives, and they must complete it because the DDO gods say so. And at everyone's expense, they just run to the end. A lot of these players are pretty good, and a lot of them are, are quite the, the boon for a uh, a new player, a sort of a, a it's a it's like a curse. It's getting a it's a, getting one of these players in your group for a significant amount of time when you're a new player at low levels is like getting a cursed item, because number one, it's a really shiny bastard sword. Number two, you're not proficient, and now you can't put the damn thing down. You can't unequip it, right? So, what ends up happening is if this guy stays with you for twenty minutes, you might get two or three levels and, and you've been playing for two weeks and you've only got two or three levels in two weeks and all of a sudden in 20 or 30 minutes you got two levels and now you're now you're wondering questioning your whole life's decision maybe you shouldn't have bought the house and do you know you look around at your kids and you're like geez maybe I was wrong right? I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm obviously uh, not kidding I'm, I'm, I'm second-guessing my own life choice so, with this kind of scenario, it's difficult to have any meaningful role play happen. And it's not that the people that are zerging, don't mistake these people that are zerging, they're not expressly like anti-role play or against role play. They are kind of, in fact, very much for it. They're just consumed by the quest for the perfect build, the perfect expression of character. And that's what's consumed them. The racial TR grind or the TR grind is it's it's a it's largely based in a, a role play philosophy of I want to make this character and it has to I have to have these these things to get. I have to have this edge to get it. So don't be put off or or come down on them too much. But just, if you will, think about getting together with your friends around a table, and there's the DM, the faceless magical DM, and he sets the story, sets the tone, and you guys have, are in session three or four, you're, you're in your groove now and ready to continue the story. 
and one of you just decides to, um, somebody gets up and goes away for like 10 or 15 minutes. And then somebody else starts moving their character across the board and rolling dice and not even talk, telling anybody else what they're doing. They're just moving their character around, rolling dice, and you know, having some kind of secret conversation with the DM that you know the rest of you aren't aware of. So something something like that is kind of what would be happening if we could translate that into to DDO. So role playing, though, it doesn't really happen, and uh, it doesn't really happen in DDO. And you might be able to find groups of people or static groups that um, will talk in character occasionally, but I, I don't know that there's a you know, there's, they're going to, um, and there's certainly permadeath guilds as well, so that, that would lend to that, and then there's, of course, hardcore, the hardcore server, but the hardcore server is not really, hasn't, re it's not really role play either, so there's not really a whole lot of role play that happens, and that's because what you say about your character and how your character feels about a given things and then the actions he takes don't matter. It just matters that you click the next dialogue button and um, complete the puzzle, connect the dots, and uh, loot the chest. Well, that's kind of DDO's uh, questing philosophy. There's been a few posts, and I know my earlier podcasts I've covered, like, I think the language one there was a language thread on there anyways I don't know if I covered it or not but it was it was an interesting thing because you know a dispersion of power or uh, more of a more choices more places to customize your character in a role place like setting scenario I don't know how to say what I want to say but I think languages would spread out the power curve and introduce more interesting puzzles so that you wouldn't just always take um, you know power attack and cleave or toughness when you were when you were you know so to me there's to this dispersion of the the power over just taking a, another standard recommended feat that we all take kind of happens you know game's been around for 17 years, so some feats never get touched, some skills never get touched. But it doesn't mean they're no good, and it doesn't mean that they weren't once great. And they're still useful, because all the content is still played heavily. All the content in DDO is still heavily played, so I'm trying to think. There are some quests out there that usually don't get touched. There's one that some of the veterans will remember, the... Uh, one near Tangle Root, where you have to protect the uh, the undead, like the the liches of the mummies. Oh, I forget the name of that one. God, that one was terrible. Uh. <laughs> I remember completing that one for favor back in the day when it was like the twenty five hundred favor cap, and I remember um, that's what when they came out with TR. I never I, I never TR'd my main guy because um, he had all he had all the quests completed on elite difficulty. So why would I TR him? Anyways, so back to kind of the new player role play problem, right? So, what can you do about it? How can you role play in DDO? Well, that's where the second part of today's um, discussion kind of comes into play. 
how how well you know your character is um it's all what we talked about like last time when we talked character creation was preparedness and being prepared for the campaign that you're going to join so i mentioned having an everon campaign book or going on the inner interwebs and you know interacting with the lore that way so you kind of understand a little bit about what your what your character is going to go through right um so today i thought we'd talk about psionics and um where they stand in ddo and in general and uh consensus on them they are divisive even in the tabletop community i would say because some people some dms and this is kind of where i got the idea to, to have the to set particular piece of the episode and i was talking to a friend of mine who was playing a game in 5e and uh, this is a couple months back they didn't have any psionics or didn't have access to them so they kind of they used a certain um class and a certain ability just to that's literally the same and then uh and the psionic handbook it's just slightly different right um so they they were able to have it without having it and can you have it in ddo well first uh, we do kind of have it because the Kalashtar, uh, the Kalashtar reside on the continent of Sarlona. They are in the country of Adair, I believe, if I can recall correctly. And they are <clears throat> uh, the only psionic kind of representation that's in Eberron they they all the Kalashtar race are kind of this meld of the quarry from the quarry plane the Dalcor which is the plane of dreams and then the quarry reside in Dalcor but the quarry the Delcor is reborn like every 100,000 years or so. I don't know how many years, but it is reborn either as good or evil as far as we can understand it. And this iteration, Delcor, is evil. And, and many, many hundreds of years ago, uh, long before the giant civilization fell, the Delcor inv invaded... Um, invaded Eberron and the Quarai, there were 67 the rebel Quarai who were lawful good entities and they um, they were able to seek refuge in human hosts and monks of Sarlona. So down through the ages they went and they kind of the Kalashtar well, it's difficult because in some material they describe them as even now kind of wrestling with this inner being that's lawful good. And then um, Keith Baker has said that it's the the sentience of the Quarai that inhabits the Kalashtar is, is kind of read out. And they just, it's like inside the fabric of their being, the Kalashtar's being, and it's no longer 
something that they you know fight or argue or talk with it's just part of who they are um i don't know if that makes sense so that's that's the that's that's the only psionics that's in Eberron. However, the psionics that's in DDO is represented by the sacred fist. The sacred fist follow the path of light, which is the religion of the Kalashtar, the path of light. So there are many monastic traditions in uh, Adair that the quarry follow. There are uh, there's like a ranger monastic order. There's many different. Um, orders but they're all all the more that i can find is it just like screams lawful good is that's all they they, they talk about it's a lawful good piece of uh of the kalashtar race so i i don't know that that would be something that you'd force on a campaign or not i mean certainly ddo did by putting uh the path of light but i think probably right from the source book it's from the paladin and, and it's the kalasha are described as being paladins from the inside you know from their soul from their very soul so Kalashtar don't dream because of the quarry that resides in them and because they know the danger of the the dalcor realm which is again the plane of dreams they sort of fight against uh the dalcor's um representation on Eberron which is called the Dreaming Dark. So the Dreaming Dark is an order of um, I'm not going to say humans but they're humans right they're actually humans, fiends, elves, they're all some kind of hybrid. The Dalcor made some kind of their own hybrid race that looks humanoid and uh, they basically manufactured these 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 beings, these humans uh, to be hosts for their um, um, their souls or their, geez, I can't think of the word, their entities, so they could inhabit these inspired bodies, these bodies, while they're on this plane, they could have a, a physical form. So the Dreaming Dark is their kind of physical manifestation, and the uh, Kalashtar fight against it, and they do so on the continent of Saralona. The Dreaming Dark have the large portion of the continent their country is called Redra and the Kalashtar hold uh, country of Adar which they believe is to the south so how does this affect how does this knowledge impact how you can role play well in DDO right because I already said you really can't right well there is kind of a way to and that's that's lead me to the I think the biggest um, accomplishment of Dungeons and Dragons Online is the uh, the character creation. And we talked about that before, and it's such a big uh, such a big undertaking, and it's so rare to find anything like this in just even a regular game. I think the only games that really come closer, you know, like uh, the Temple of Elemental Evil by Troika was literally they when I got the game. Uh, that particular game I just mentioned, I got, I opened it up and they still printed a, a physical manual for the game. And it was literally the player's handbook, the 3.5 player handbook, like with the art and everything just shrunk down. 
that's how um, that's how accurate that game was and it didn't do well because it had a lot of bugs when it came out but I also think people really struggled with the just the rule set very in-depth game very cool very good very challenging so the others I think would be probably Pillars of Eternity and then uh, was of Eternity 2 and then the Al Bears Path the the uh, Path of the Righteous games there the Kingmaker and Path of the Righteous so those have great character creation systems now this one is different because in DDO it's all you're assuming the role of a simulate you know you kind of you're taking control of this character in real time these other games have the benefit of either turn base or pause or you know they have the benefit of taking you outside of the character and you're looking in so it's more tabletopy but it's also less um, immersive in the way that you're actually there right where it's ddo is going to put you right in the middle of the action there's no you know there's no pause in the action when the beholder's round in the corner and He's already killed two of your party members, and he's coming after you. There's no pause in that. <laughs> he's coming for you. you Got to figure something out. So that's kind of the fun of DDO, right? But how does that how does that matter when it comes to role play? And that means, to me, anyways, is is coming prepared and knowing knowing what you're going to make. And if you want to make a psionic warrior, somebody that uses psionics. You want to have an understanding of what psionics are and how they're used inside a given system. Whether it's 3.5 or any other system, how something like that's used. And there's this kind of great debate that it's just a different name for magic with different dice and different dice rolls and different chances, but it's all just magic, right? So there's, there's that train of thought. So kind of borrowing from that train of thought, how could you make a psionic warrior in DDO, the game where we already said you can't really role play, right? So let's figure that out. The Kalashtar is the closest thing you can come to a psionic race because they are linked to the plane of dreams and they're linked, kind of have this mind link, you know, inborn. So they're, they're very fabric of uh, psionics is embedded in there, coded in their DNA. So, how would we be able to build a character? Well, first we have to settle on what, like, you know, who, who he would be and where he would be from. So, I think a good, this is going to be, this is the part where we marry your knowledge of the game, meta-knowledge, right? Like you've come a long way playing DDO, maybe you've reached level 20, or maybe you've reached level 32, and you're not quite ready for rating, but you're ready to TR, or you're ready to get more into the game, right? You're ready to 
to still play it some more. But you still want to maintain your own link, your own heritage back to tabletop. Well, if that's the case, it's really important to know the game and the game mechanics. So I'm not going to get into the game mechanics right now. I'm just going to get us into how to be prepared and then how that preparation leads to that character being created using uh, the Dungeons and Dragons online character creator. I think our best shot of making a psionic character, psychic warrior, whoever you want to call it, would be would be somebody coming from Adair or Redra. It would be the best and most believable believable thing in Eberron because that's where they are. Now, traditionally, in Eberron, all psionics are pretty much covered by being the Kalashtar. But, as we know in life, there are aberrations, anomalies, things happen, and things change. Right? People adapt. Countries adapt. You know, societies adapt. So, makes sense that would happen in Eberron. So, let's say on on the continent of Sarlona, there's this this place called the Tashana Tundra. There's a society of shifters that live there, some clans. They are more wild than the Eldian Reaches clans. Some would consider them older because Sarlona is known as the creation or the, the homeland of all humans. People believe that's where the first humans who came to Ebron were in Sarlona. So it would make sense that the shifters are probably some of the closest in lineage to the first shifters. But being in such close conflict with the Dalcor and the Dreaming Dark, to give more of a, a background, the Shifter Society, especially Shifters out in the wilds like this, they have certain clan tasks that are generally broken up by lineage. Some of them are, some people are warriors, some people are war keepers, some people interact with the outside community. And in the Tashana Tundra, they have sort of a special warrior group. And it's handled by the, the Dream Fangs. And they are a shifter line that developed after the arrival of the Dreaming Dark and the Kalashtar's absorbance of the Rebel Quarai. 
and they help warn of threats to the clans and keep them safe from the Dalkor. The Corn. So, our psychic warrior could be, let's say he is. He's a Dream Fang. He's part of the Dream Fang clan. And he's preyed upon by the Kuai so fiercely that he's left in a coma. And his clan leaves him in the region of a monastic order of monks, of the monastic order that protects the wilds, right? They have good relationship with them, but they generally don't speak to them, and they certainly wouldn't show their weakness to them. But they leave him they leave him in their hunting grounds knowing that he'll be found and that they wouldn't they would take care of him. At least they hope they would. The Kalashtar are a very closed society as well. The, so there's no promise that he would be taken care of. But say he's found by a monastic ranger, maybe Tatari. And she finds him on one of her routine patrols and clearly he's in jeopardy. She can sense the dark Korai with uh, spirit upon him and she brings him back to the monastery. And their spin trip is, is nursed back to health through many, many months, maybe many years. He's nursed back to himself. He studies with the Kalashtar. That's all they know. The only thing they they know to combat the, the Dalk War, the Dreaming Dark, the only way they know how to combat it is it's in their genetics, so they just instinctively kind of treat him like one of their own. So he gravitates toward the quarterstaff and he trains with the monks there as best he can. And he's when he's fully recovered, he experiences some event, right? Where he is allowed to kind of tap into this this other this other realm, like this a deep deeper part of himself, and he's able to in combat anyways, he's able to demonstrate a much uh, much more competent prowess than he had when he first came. This is significantly so. But Spintrip can't stay. He can't stay at the monastery forever as much as he'd like to. He's accepted the path of light and he promises the monks that he will continue his study will continue his devotions so that he is always aware and he intends to take the plight directly to the Dalkori. What, what the Kalashtar monks don't know is that the Tatarius decided to leave with our Dream Fang warrior. His name is Spintrip. Spintrip Dream Fang. And he's He's learned from Datari, who, while out on one of the patrols, learned that the 
the dreaming dark is trying to trying to restart a monolith in Zendrick. Hanbalani Atlas is what they're called. And they're kind of like this psychic egg monolith battery antenna. It's a focus of quarry power. It's a giant structure. So Datari, she's kind of a, a ranger monk, right? She's uh, uses the bow. She's a you know your typical typical kind of uh, know, patrol patroller type ranger, like very militant, but also very monastic. So she's very stoic, you know. But she just feels this pull inside of her to spin trip. Because she doesn't even know why. And this is common for Kalashtar. Sometimes they have these itches that they, they, they can't under, they don't fully understand because it's the core eye part of their being that's being resonated with. And so they just, they kind of have no control over it, but to follow it. And Datari feels, feels this way about Spintrip that she just has to follow him. She has to follow him, whether it's to care for him, to guard him, to help him, to make sure he stays on the path of light. We don't know these things. So they travel together, down, 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 across the sea, to Stormreach, where they're ship is wrecked on the shores of Corthos. Of course, as they leave the cave and stumble onto Corthos proper, the village of Corthos, a man there offers to take them another way to the borderlands where there's another war. They need help too. So the two of them decide, well, might as well go to the borderlands and help them. The Corthos will be here, surely. Spintrip is begrudging at first because he knows that the Dalcor and the Dreaming Dark are here on Stormreach and they don't he doesn't know how far to keep on this borderlands is or where it is or when they'll be back so they travel to the keep on the borderlands and successfully complete that campaign through the course of that campaign there are many fights that they go through and Atari watches Spintrip Dreamfang grow into not just a warrior, but a warrior that's able to use, to tap into the Dao Kuor, the power of the Dao Kuor, but not, but not be consumed by it, not let in any evil spirits. He's able to keep all the entities at bay, and he just taps into the source of, of the Dao Kuor power, almost like becoming a living monolith, right? He's almost a living Hanbalan, right? He's almost a living battery 
a focus of the quarry. She sees him engage a giant minotaur in combat. And again, when the time is right and when it's necessary, he's able to draw great strength from his connection to the Dark War. And even though the Minotaur is fast and he has minions, skeletal minions, large scorpions to hit him in combat, she saw Spindrip. He was just it was uncanny. He could just move, like, faster than thought, almost prenatal thought. He was like, before it happened, precognition. His devotion, she saw that too. Keep on the borderlands. It was a big adventure for them, their first one. And they didn't always come out ahead. After their encounter with the Knoll, Spintrip was cut and burned in many places. But she saw him take a knee and he, through his devotion to the path of light, caused his wounds to be healed, rejuvenated. And he was even able to heal some of her wounds. And it wasn't long before she realized he was growing into something more than just some, some clan shifter beast race. That there was more to this. That he was, while not Kalashtar, he was connected to the plane of Dark War. And that his cause, while Maybe not quite lawful good and stoic, maybe a little chaotic at times. It was still good. And she recognized that and resonated with that. And so she followed him still. She was able to see great, great feats of strength. He was able to perform both sacred, sacred strengths of feet and some just incredible just his connection his ties to the Dalcourt plan just flooded him with strength but it wasn't just that he was able to call upon special abilities that Kalashtar monks traditionally would work for he was able to tap into other representations of power At one point, outnumbered, it was as if he moved with great, great speed. It was no wonder he could leap great distances, great heights. He was a, a wonder to her, a puzzle that this shifter could be connected and be so fiercely committed to her own cause. I don't know that the Kalashtar love. I don't know that they're that they experience emotion the way that normal humans do, because while they're human, they are Kalashtar for a reason. 
But she was drawn to Spindrift and his cause because his cause was her cause. Spindrift. He was able to make her completely invisible to sneak past some cobalt garbs in the very early stages of the journey. She knew then that something special was happening, that she was watching something special. And through their adventures, at least on the Keep on the Borderlands, she was right. He was, he was one of them. He was a, he was a psychic warrior, I guess. Maybe not a Kalashtar warrior, but he was, he was Quarai, through and through. By the time they reached Corthos, their missions there were. The missions there were handled well. And the Illithid, they feared not the Illithid. And it was Spintrip who detected the use of mind mind control right, right away. He could, almost like he detected the mind somewhere. Just something, his connection. She was proud of him. You know? Proud of him. She felt like she had a stake in, in what he had become. After all, she, she remembered finding him alone in the woods all the way back on Sarwana. Here they are, now entering Stormreach together. She wondered. She wondered if the Dreaming Dark were ready. Because she wasn't ready. So I'm just kind of playing around with my game knowledge and I'm playing around with my knowledge of the campaign setting and I'm kind of marrying those two to create the character that I want, like to create the psionic character I want to create. So my friend said that his DM said, the psychic warrior, there's a couple of variants you can play and one of the variants is very close to the barbarian. So for this this iteration, the first few levels you would take would be barbarian, and that would that would give you your first taste of psionic power, being able to mentally increase your strength and tap into your cognition. By level four, with uncanny dodge, you'd be able to tap into this almost precognition type defense so that even while surrounded, you would still be able to fight, fight through. The, the Clash are a 
for a lack of a better term, there are religious people, there are holy people, they're all described as being lawful good and being infused with lawful good. In fact, they follow the path of light. So it makes sense that while Spinstrip is there, he becomes religious as they are religious to the path of light. It's not maybe Sovereign Host or Silver Flame traditional religion, but it's still, you know, meditates and and completes his rigorous devotionals every day. So he still, he becomes a follower of the path of light. This is, this is, this religious knowledge is almost the bridge for him to step into the realm of the, of the dreams. But he would also have to possess the wherewithal to educate himself on his subjects. Obviously, he was attacked by by a quarry, a dark quarry. Well, they're all dark, except for the rebels. But he was possessed by an evil entity, and he was attacked by one, scarred by one. So it makes sense that he would want to understand his, his enemy. And that's where some wizard would come to play. Maybe not what you would expect of a wizard, maybe just smart enough to cast a spell. In fact, I would say he's just smart enough to cast a spell. And in his journeys, he finds a ring. This ring, and he puts it on, increases his connection to the plane of doubt war. In effect, increases his intelligence and allowing him to cast higher level spells. So in this way, I would role play even the gear that allowed him to the class to function, because your stats would be spread in such a way, especially using a shifter race, would be spread thin even on a twenty-eight point build. It's definitely still workable. You definitely can still play the game. Maybe uh, up to R1 with a build like this. Definitely to R1 with a build like this. So those those are the three classes I would I would put together: the barbarian and cleric and wizard. And he would have just enough knowledge, so maybe a 12 intelligence, but definitely a 17 or 16 strength and a maybe 14 or 15 constitution. And I would want him to have some wisdom too. So he would need to have, he would need to have focus items, wisdom and intelligence for sure, to be able to complete his connection to the Dalcor plane. And that's understandable for a guy in his shoes. He's a shifter after all. He's not a Kalashtar. He's not born with Kalari in his genetic with a quarry in his genetics, right? He needs to facilitate access not just through faith alone, but also through his this focus that he has and through the scar that he exploits. But while using 
the shift array seems like a detriment. It's actually um, it's actually one of the things that allows us to make the build work uh, at earlier levels because the shifters, he's a wild hunt shifter. They get a an enhancement in their racial tree that allows them not only to get more spell points, but allows them to not be fatigued by rage so they don't have any negative impact from raging. So, and it also allows them to cast spells while they're raging, which completes his uh, psychic or psionic powers package. Because now, not only is he not depleted when he uses his psychic powers, but he's able to he's able to con he's able to use the rage as a psychic power as opposed to going into this uh, traditional barbarian rage that's kind of uncontrollable bloodlust. That's not what he's doing. He's accessing the power of the Dalcor plane. And he's infusing that power into his body. So it makes sense that he would have more control over his body, not less. And that's why we choose the shifter race. Because the shifter race has this, this quality. It's also interesting that we're able to find shifters on Sarlona. And some of the oldest on Eberron. Some of the most fiercest are on Eberron. As they are the Tishana Tundra, that's filled with goblins and hobgoblins. Uh, not a nice place to be. So it makes sense that um, that we we pick a shifter for this race, and we don't need many many points in intelligence to get us intelligence to find to find ourselves able to cast first and second level spells. And in truth, we should probably place cleric, maybe not, maybe in the beginning, just a little bit ahead of the wizard because he needs to be able to center himself with the path of light. So that, that makes sense. Also, he's a shifter and he learns, he learns from the monks to use the quarterstaff. Well, the followers of Orion or Orion and DDO, they have their favorite weapon is quarterstaff. So while this doesn't translate to the path of light, this translates to the philosophy that he used his training time with the monks to develop his skills with the quarterstaff alongside his faith in the path of light. And the wizard levels would come slowly, and they would probably be, I would guess, the most amount of levels he would have in any class. But they wouldn't be specifically, or they're not spell casting in the traditional sense, but they are, you know, defensive and offensive uh, capabilities that he uses to augment his, his combat style. You know, they're the manifestation of his psychic powers, kind of the, the height of his... Um, of his understanding. So you, you would expect those to kind of come later in his in his career. So definitely probably barbarian cleric and then wizard at the end. And then you would have more psychic one. The important thing would be we picked shifter 
specifically specifically because it would allow us to utilize that manifestation of psychic power through divine and arcane spell use. We can we can kind of simulate that by using this the shift for links. It's also a great story hook because he happens to be part of some of the fiercest shifters there are on Eberron. They also have a close tie to Zendrick. So that's that's one way to play a storm reach. A storm a BDO psychic warning. There are many, many ways you can kind of facilitate a build like this, but for a new player, someone who hasn't, or maybe someone who's just starting to learn, these are some of the hints I can I can kind of offer you. Um, there is a, a build, like a there is a build that particular build that I am thinking of. I'm not offering it because I think I could, but it's a. Uh, I would say. It's, it would be good for you to, to explore this idea and for you to have it manifest in your own way. If I were to make make this build myself, I would make him four levels of Barbarian, five levels of Cleric, and I would make him 11 levels of Wizard. And I would take most of my Barbarian, I would take all my Barbarian levels first, and then I would take most if not all of my cleric levels next probably not all probably i would take three and then i would take two wizard levels and then i would finish off two more cleric levels the reason why i would play the game this way is number one i think that the martial prowess would come first in his development spin trip would it makes sense that uh blocking with the staff comes at a normal more it's more normal for him than connecting with the the, the dreaming the, the the plane of dreams right so it makes sense to me that those basic things we call them basic but even tapping into that that inner strength would come first so i would prioritize the the racial tree up to getting the the rage uh not affect any of the spell casting and not fatiguing him. And then I would focus on, uh, I would focus on maybe some of his cleric stuff and some of his barbarian stuff. But I would put, uh, I would be up to you how you would do the domain. The domain, I would probably just pick strength because he's going to be strength based. So I would put a large amount of my points in strength and then I would look for any enhancements. I'll tell you what I probably would do is I would probably just off the top of my head now because I didn't think this through. The uncanny dodge is a, is a great to role play as a, as a defensive cooldown. That whole precognition thing is a great role play. I would give him the psychic bond with his weapon from the occult slayer. It's an easy point, and it gives him, you know, some some easy damage. I would definitely go up 
uh, three three levels in the cleric after that because you get access to the domains and I picked the strength domain just because it gives them plus two to strengths and I want to pump the strength score up as much as possible so I would go five levels of cleric to access the divine power enhancement at the top of the war priest or the war soul three but I'd also access the divine intervention and that would be this would be, you know, representative of his ability to, to walk, walk the plains to bring people back, to bring himself back. You know that that one never really dies; they only sleep. You know, and he knows how to manipulate that so that he can awake. He would get staff bonuses from his deity feats. He would be able to use spells, probably up to cure serious, remove curse, mass aid, prayer. So he'd have some utility there. His wizard, his wizard levels allow him to reach into the dream felt, the dream realm, and manifest his thoughts into the physical realm. So while he can, while he can rage himself. He can also tap into the dream plane and further increase his rage. There are many many benefits, I think, to going eleven was mainly uh, or a good piece is the tensor's transformation. You also have access to medium armor. You would have, I would go up, I think the Occult Slayer has an at tier four enhancement that gives you 20% HP while wearing medium armor, but you could take the Knight's Transformation as well, which gives you 15% um, extra HP and gives you some of those transformation bonuses. Also gives you, um, the radiant shield as a defense mechanism in the low on health. So there are many um, many different ways to make make this uh, psychic warrior happen. That's just one way. You probably just ballpark. You'd probably roll right around in eighty strength later on in game. Maybe a little bit more if you were to. You know, and I, this is really for a new player, but if you were to get into some of the more endgame stuff like filigrees and stuff like that, which I'm sure you hear people talk about, um, you know, people generally stack your main stat strength, uh, your main stat on those, so you could probably get it up to maybe a good 90. So you're, you're right, with a 28-point build and a, a build split like that, 4, 5, and 11, to have like a 90 main stat, they... From what I understand, 100 is, is uh, good. So if you're at 90, you're, you're doing well for a split like that. So especially with all the extra abilities that you have access to. Divine intervention being very powerful. So that's how I would kind of build a psychic warrior. If I was a, a new player, in my, I'm a new player when it comes to uh, 24, 
So uh, 28 mod. But that's it. That's what I have for you. That's um, that's the story, and I'm sticking to it. It was uh, kind of fun coming up with this, but also kind of hard. I would um, I would recommend to a new player if this was something you were interested in. I would recommend uh, the Salt March because it has um, it's a smaller area. The Fay Wild is a great pack to buy. The Salt March I think is a little bit better. It's uh, it's more themed, has more boats, more. It's more of a um, on a co takes place on a coast. It's definitely one of the packs, even in tabletop, that people say fit Eberron well. And I think a lot of the gear in there would you could you could get away with it in a build like this. You could get away with it. it just uh, it's very utilitarian as far as what the sets offer, but also with the Saltmar sets, even when you get into legendary content, because you will eventually. It happens to all of us. We uh, we talked about that in the very beginning. We 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 start off like we're going to create uh, these wonderful characters, and then we get into a quest, and and all of a sudden we see a shiny piece of loot, and somebody gives it to us because they have something ten times better. And you're thinking to yourself, well. <laughs> what is that thing that's 10 times better and how do I get it then? Thanks for this piece of loot, but give me that information, please. And it, it leads you down this path where before you know it, um, you're the guy zerging and you're the experienced player. And uh, you want to enjoy your journey to that point because it's a lot of fun. You don't want to lose sight of uh, how you got to Dungeons & Dragons or what Dungeons & Dragons is to you, right? It's, uh, it's expression, you know. But I think Salt March is a, it's a it's a good price point for a new player, and it's a good it's a great pack for a new player because of how big it is, and the loot that it offers, and it offers legendary loot. So later in the game, when you reach level 32ish, and you're looking, well, geez, I need to make um, I need to make uh, I need to have better gear. You can just take the gear you have from there, and go and up go ahead and upgrade it. So you're going to get very familiar with it. You're going to get very good at it and very good at running it fast. And um, you're going to have a great time with it because the story is a lot of fun. The quests are a lot of fun. There's a good amount of XP. And I think it has some of the best looking loot at any rate um, with the weapons and whatnot. The weapons are very, very classic Dungeons and Dragons looking to me. So that's what I would kind of recommend. Also, the weapons have a weakening effect on them which is really good for new players because weakening is just in and of itself defensive. So I think that will, and it will take you a long way. Like you would be 12, 14, 15 before you even really noticed. Uh, just, I guess to me, I feel like uh, Salt Marsh is underrepresented, um, but it's such a great pack. It just came out at a time when, you know, Isle of Dread came out uh, after that. There's some better gear in Sharn. There's some better gear in the Feywild. Salt March has gear that's comparable, but also upgradable, easily upgradable to legendary for a new player. That's why I would recommend it. You know, so you can you'll have access to really good gear for a new player. It's ridiculous. Yeah, you should get Sharn. Yep, you should learn Sharn. But Sharn's very big. And it's harder and requires. Um, 
you know, really um, pay attention and probably have a group and honestly be more experienced with the game, quite frankly. Uh, it was meant to challenge uh, more veteran players than it did. Um, it's not so much now because that's what happens as gear comes out and the game moves forward. But it would be for a new player. It still would be for a new player. Feywild is fun, and there's a lot of a lot of story content there. And if you feel like the price is better than Saltmarsh, then go for it. But I think the sets in Saltmarsh are just a lot easier to put together, and the quests are a lot more straightforward in nature. So it will give you a good grasp of what to expect and the, the basics so that you can build your own characters like this and, and enjoy them. So to bring it full circle with the role play is you're not going to, you're going to be out adventuring in the salt mark, we hope, and you'll be joining us and we'd like to see you out there. And you'll be, you'll be playing your own spin trip, Green Fang. And you'll know why he's there. You'll know where he comes from. And at some point, the conversation, I'm sure in chat, will open up for somebody will comment about something in the quest. In particular, maybe not quite in character, but about as close as you'll ever see. And that will be your time to say something. You know, you'll, you'll know. The moment will be so big, it, you can't, you know, the opportunity will be there. You just, you just have to make the jump. You know, you're going you're gonna to know. But that's about as close as it gets. But it's all about being prepared. That one line, could that might carry you through the whole thing or might spark a friendship. You don't know. It's such a great game and so many things happen in so many strange ways. That's uh, that's pretty much the, the podcast for today. I don't really have much more to talk about. I debated, uh, quite frankly, whether how deep I should go with uh, with this uh, psychic warrior thing when I had the idea. The funny thing is there's a, a post on the forums about how bad Standing Stone Games monetizes DDO. Pardon me, past and future friends. <laughs> but uh, I, the, my, I wanted to cover that last week in a podcast, but I wanted to, um, you know, every player is critical uh, and wants Dungeons Dragons to be the best representation of what it can be. That being said, I, we all, everybody that plays the game loves the game, and we all just want it to be best we just have different priorities so i wanted to have an episode where we just kind of praised ddo and i, I think that's what we did this episode we, we you know just the 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 maybe they didn't get to pick eberron as a setting but i think eberron has really come a long way in the 15 or so years it's been out 20 years it's been out um, it's talked about an awful lot in tabletop, and a lot of people like it. It's very unique. We haven't touched on the Warforge or the Lord of Blades 
and there is very interesting lore regarding all that that we don't talk about in DDO. It's not there in DDO. So it's interesting to shed some light on it, have some, you know, have a little bit of discussion about it, and then see if you can make a character that, you know, can reflect some of those uh, lore ideas. And it's cool that DDO's character creation system really does afford you that that flexibility. There's many ways to play this game. You'll find out that eventually uh, your end game is just quite simply a, a drive for better numbers. And a lot of players lose focus um, and some people get resentful of, of the new player base or uh, but most of that I I honestly think it's worked out. I, I haven't run into that elite, elitist attitude at, at all in DDO. I think you'll mostly find that the drive for in, better endgame numbers seems impersonal to you because they're, you know, somebody that's on a TR grind, sometimes they just see the mountain of lives they have to complete, and the mountain of XP they have to complete, get, which would be, I don't know, like in the a hundred millions, I don't know what it would be, a billion XP if you added up all those lives. So I don't know. Sometimes it, they might seem impersonal or get frustrated, but it's not you they're frustrated with. It's just this monumental grind that they've, for some reason, it's happened to me too, you put it on yourself. And sometimes it's like, I don't get a chance to play an awful lot, but when I play, it's usually for, you know, four or five hours, right? And uh, sometimes by like hour three, you know, depending on if I'm grinding out that life, I get that that itch where like, okay, I don't have, I need to get this quest done. I, I, you know, I only have like 90 minutes left and I've only got, you know, this much XP. I need three times that much and, and you know, half the time. So, you know, that happens. And I, uh, I, I just warn you, if you're a new player and you're listening to this, I kind of warn you that that's uh, not nothing against you and it's a poor representation of us, the player base, when we, we get like that. Because our heart's in the right place. You know, we want to just make, I want to make another spin trip dream pad. I just want to make him perfect. You know, that's that's what I'm after. And I'm not saying that this isn't perfect. What I'm saying is I want to have him never roll a one. And if he does, it doesn't matter. You know, that's, that's what I'm talking about. And frankly, I think that takes, sometimes that takes the fun away from the game. But, you know, uh, one thing that doesn't take fun away from the game game is seeing a bigger stat number. <laughs> that, that's always more fun. So keep that in mind. And enjoy the game. Make your own characters. Come up with your own ideas. And, and if you're going to TR train and you're going to get Salt March and you're going to figure out just that Salt March crafting system, I just love it because it's so basic that when I came back, it gave me a real leg up on getting my feet wet, like I knew I was strong enough to go into like the Isle of Dread and um, contribute good, well, like I was able to contribute well. So I think that um, that's why I'm recommending that to a new player because it's an easy, it's easy to get your handle on crafting system that will stick with you and it will inform you with the rest of the game design that, that DDO has because it's a very big game and Salt Marsh is just a small piece of it. And um, it's a piece that can really, you can put in the center of your pie. 
and it will just be kind of that core experience that will will help you understand the rest of the game. The the other expansions are awesome. Feywild is great. Charm is great. I, I love Ravenloft. I played, read all the text in Ravenloft. I wasn't able to beat all the quests solo. So I some of the later quests I don't know all the lore to, but definitely the first, I don't know, five or six I loved. And I was able to play them nice and slow, and they were very much that, um, uh, you know, Van Helsing detective. It was very fun, very, very fun. So I think all the all the quests are great. Um, all the expansions are great. I would, I don't know if Keeping the Borderlands is free, quite frankly, because I've, I've never played and not been VIP, so I don't know. Um, I would, obviously I would recommend VIP, but I, I would definitely, I would definitely get the Saltmarsh. That's a, that's a great pack to get. But all the other packs are great, and, and people are going to tell you, you know, Feywild has better loot, or Sharn has better loot. Those are all, that's all well and good, but one thing to keep in mind is, Saltmarsh has the easiest loot to get legendary. So out of all those packs, that's true. Feywild has some good gear, especially for lobies. But so does Salt Saltmarsh, and it's easier to make legendary. And because it's so interchangeable, there are so many pieces that go on your your character. You can take you can take another three piece set and put it on top of the five piece bonus you have, and you're going to need that edge when you get into the end game. You'll need that double, you know, those kinds of double. That double sets, and honestly, there'll be a lot of other players that don't have a double set, a five-piece and a three-piece. You won't, won't find it unless they're like, they're raid guides, and they have like, they're part of a raid guild, and they've got raid pieces that are, you know, giving them probably a much more advanced uh, number set than yours, but regular players won't even have the five and three, which it's just something to consider. That's why I'm, I'm saying Saltmarsh from a, a lore and a fun perspective. Because it's, I found it to be, the music's great, the quests are great, and um, they're easy to find. The adventure area is fun. It's not overwhelming. Um, it's big, and it's not too big, and the crafting system is there, and it's it's representative of what you'll find in game, the rest of the game. But it's not super in depth. You know, you're looking for one other item, you know, one other thing, one other piece to the puzzle. Not looking for a ten or twenty, so it's good. It's good for new players, and I think having that ability to make that stuff legendary and upgrading it is really was a really good thing. So that's why I would say that because the five piece you can later marry with another three piece that somebody says is good, and if you get Saltmarsh, um, I don't think you'll be disappointed. I know I certainly don't regret my time in the salt marsh and i've moved on from there since i returned because i'm a returning player with a many year absence so i feel sometimes like a new player even though i have had a lot of experience with the game and that's why i think salt marsh is a great kind of springboard because some of the other quests are, are pretty long like in feywild there are some doozies and uh and sharn as well and sometimes it's it was um it was difficult to learn, but I didn't find I had the same um, experience in the salt marsh. I thought keeping the borderlands and the salt marsh were both really good 
to get back into the game and get geared up so that I could be effective in uh, more end game content. So that's it. So that that's that would be that's my meta, kind of my meta, how I meta the character into uh, kind of a lore. I start you start with some game knowledge, just that one little nugget about I want to make a a psychic character, and I'm going to use barbarian rage as my psychic power. So I, you know you find the shifter enhancement. The shifter enhancement negates the negative effects. Of the barbarian rage now important to note I know I said it was kind of wrapping up but it's important to know that they get uh, I think tireless rage at 17 and I think there are other th there might be other races that get access to something like that or but it would be much much later at least the shifter one was the one that stood out as like getting it within 10 points and 10 action points. I, I think that's pretty good. I, I could be wrong, but I did do a little bit of looking around when I made the character. So that's kind of why I, I did, made the choices I did and kind of went where I went with it. You could, um, you could do so many things. You could build this character so many different ways. And I'm not going to, um, bore you bore you with that side of it i just think that a little window into what the mechanics behind the scenes go into a build like this is might might be helpful both from like the war and then how you implement it like we took the story of it and then we took from the story we took it into the game and hopefully that that story and then the game explanation you know that helps you understand at least how I kind of think of the rules and how to implement stuff like psionics or interesting character design. And then with Saltmarsh, it's it's much the same thing. I, I start with the story. It's great. It's a great fit for everyone. It's just great all around. And then to be able to um, have a place to go to when you say you finally reach level 30 or whatever. And you're like, geez, I really need some loot. You can go back to those quests that you already know. And boom, that's half the battle, dude. You're already there. So that's why I think that's a, a, the Salt March is a good pick. Because it's, it's just real small. And you're going to find everything you need right there to get you into the end game solidly. So there are better sets out there. But I think that's a great place to start. All right. I I think I think I'm done trying to push DDO on on you. Hopefully, I didn't push too hard. It's a such a fun game, man. Really, really is. I want to make more podcasts more regular, but I find I'm really thinking about the topics I want to cover a little bit more deeply. So. Instead of just going onto the forums and kind of always just regurgitating that, I think it's good to keep up on what's happening on the forums. I just, but I find that sometimes that will inform some of that um, like negative Nancy stuff that I'm not 
you know, and it's not anybody's fault. That's you know, the forms are there for people to, you know, to use as they as they see fit. But yep, I'm looking through the. Uh, <laughs> I'm looking through the forums, and I don't. I generally like to stick to the suggestions and ideas threads, like uh, and the more uh, creative ones. That's what I like to look at, just because I think that's a lot of those things are really good ideas. Players, are, you know, you got people playing this game hours and hours on end, and somebody comes up with that idea, and you're like, "Hey, that's awesome!" Like, why didn't the developers think of that? You know, that's why I like to look at the forums, but it's difficult sometimes when it's uh, obviously there's. You know, the game is, uh, you know, it's full of people. People do what people do. So. I guess. Uh, I guess this is me uh, casting my own teleport spell and teleporting the heck out of here. Until next time, my friends.